Gene just leaned over to me and said, keep it short. <laughs> in 2006, I was ordained a deacon in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and on that day, I promised three things. <clears throat> First, I promised to live a celibate life for the rest of my life. And the point of that is, is that we are meant as priests to be symbols of what is to come. Jesus says in the Gospels that in heaven they're neither married or given in marriage. They live like the angels, and we are supposed to be symbols of that. I also promised obedience to my bishop and his successors for the rest of my life. What that means is if the bishop says, do this, I do it. There's no question. You just do it. Unless it would be against Christ's law. That would be the only time you wouldn't be obedient to your bishop. But it's a nice way to live. I think a lot of people think it's a terrible way to live. It's a beautiful way to live. You know, most of my life is decided. You know, where you have to make decisions about what job, where, you know, should I switch, should I... No, he just says go, and I go. And third, I, find, I, I promise to pray the liturgy of the hours until I die. <clears throat> Five times a day we pray. Office of readings, morning prayer, daytime prayer, evening prayer, night prayer. And we pray it for you, for the church. In fact, for us, it is so serious a promise that for us to miss it, as the ordained clergy is considered a grave sin. It's a compilation of prayers and scripture readings and readings from the fathers of the church. This is what it looks like. We call it the breviary. Two of those hours, two of the five, morning prayer and evening prayer, we say the Our Father. And I also celebrate Mass each day, <clears throat> in which we say the Our Father again. And I'm fond of praying the Rosary, which is another six Our Fathers. So on any given day, I can pray nine Our Fathers. That's dangerous. The reason it's dangerous is because that prayer can become mechanical. We just say it. They're just words. I mean, even all of you, you know, that gather before Mass and say the Rosary. How many times do you even realize what you're saying? Or even in Mass. We get so acquainted with Mass. Think about this. Like, have you ever been sitting... You don't have to, like, raise your hand or shake your head. But have you ever been sitting in the pew... And the reader says, the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God, and all of a sudden you realize, I have no idea what was just read. It's because things within the faith become just mechanical. We're present, but we're not really present. Like, our, we're here, but our hearts are elsewhere. That's why I think there is the ever-present danger for me at least, I, I suppose for you, that prayer becomes just words. My mind is other places. And that's because prayer is a battle. There is a whole section of the catechism entitled, The Battle for Prayer. It says that prayer always presupposes effort. It's a battle. Against whom? Against ourselves and against the devil who does all he can to turn away men from prayer and from union with God. There is, I think, for all Catholics, this danger that prayer just becomes words. The Our Father that we're given today is the only prayer that Jesus specifically gave to us. And not only that, I don't know if you know this, but it's not a prayer. It's a model for prayer. 
right? What do the apostles say? Teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, okay, here's your structure. And there are three things I want you to notice about the Our Father. The first, Our Father. (laughs) The two first words are probably the single key indicator of what prayer is and how it works. Number one, it's Our Father. So somehow all of us are connected. You remember when Paul's conversion, right? He gets knocked to the ground and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul must have been like, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the Christians. And that's why Jesus says again, yes, but when you persecute them, you're persecuting me. So somehow prayer binds us all together. And the second is Father. That prayer is about relationship above all things. It is not recitation of words. It is not petitions. It is not intercessions. It is relationship with a God who loves us. And somehow that relationship affects all of our relationships. That's what prayer is supposed to do, at least. How many of you experience that? How many of you experience prayer, your prayer, your time here, your recitation of the rosary, whatever, as a real relationship with God himself, in which you speak to him and he speaks to you? Second thing about the Our Father, your will be done. Your will be done. Nowhere in the Our Father does it say anything. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament Does it say anything about you getting your way? Prayer is not about you getting your way. It's about God getting his way in you. That's why when somebody, if they lose their job or if they, you know, they're diagnosed with something or whatever, something bad happens. I always tell people, don't pray that that goes away. Pray that you find God within it. This is why God, with Jesus in, in, in the story today, he says, knock and, you will re- or, uh, and the door will be open to you. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. He does not say, knock and the door that you want open will be opened. Ask and the very thing you are asking for will be given. Seek and the thing that you are seeking above all things will be found. It's not about you getting your way. It's not about you saying, God, my grandma is dying. Why won't you heal her? That's not prayer. Prayer, That's you getting your way. What Jesus is trying to convey to us today is that it's about God getting his way. Your will be done. And finally, I think the most powerful line of the Our Father and the one that is least heeded is... Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You and I owed a debt that we couldn't pay. So Christ paid a debt that he didn't owe. And when he did that, because it was an infinite debt, there was no way out of it, that after he did it for us, he expects us to do it for others. We are called to be different. Christians are called to be different in a world of hate and anger and revenge. 
We're called to be the ones that forgive, that love. <clears throat> but so many of us don't forgive. Some of you here today have been hanging on to hurts, to wounds for far too long. And as long as we let our past dictate our present, we will never have a future. I'm going to say that again. As long as we let our past dictate our present, we will never have a future. You were made for freedom, which means ultimately you were made to forgive. Forgiveness sets us free. I had a priest buddy who told me this story a while back about himself. He was a good man, a good priest, but he was always a little angry because of something that happened when he was a child. And he just was never able to forgive the man that wronged him. <clears throat> he told me about five years ago that he was sitting in his rectory and it was blizzarding outside, like a terrible storm. And the phone rang. And he was the, it was a real, you know, remote district. And there was a care facility in this other town about 30 miles away. And they were trying to find a priest. And they found this man. They said, you need to come. This man, he's been just kind of freaking out and he's at the end and he looked outside and he's like there's no way that I can make it but he said at that moment something clicked and said you have to go so he said he's like I put on my snowsuit I had my survival gear got in my little Toyota and started driving and he said each of the little towns he went through as he went through they shut down the road right behind him so he knew he wasn't getting home and he finally got to the care facility the the man wouldn't let him in. <laughs> and so for about 15 minutes, he said, I just pleaded with him and said, Sir, you're going to die. There's nothing that you could have done that God can't forgive. And so finally, after enough pleading, he let him in. And he got inside and he started talking to the man. And he said, What is it that you're so ashamed of? Like, what is it that you think can't be forgiven? And the man was, you know, kind of teary-eyed, and he said, 50 years ago, when I was younger, I used to drink and drive all the time around this small, these small towns. And one, one night, I was trying to get home, and I blew through a stop sign, and I just T-boned this car. And he said it was dark, nobody was around. He said the two people looked like they were unconscious, so I just left. Because I knew I'd get a DUI, I'd get, probably go to jail, whatever. And I thought, surely they were Okay. And he said, two days later, I read in the paper that it was a husband and wife and they had both died. That I had killed them. It was my fault. And the priest started crying. And he said, why are you crying, Father? It's my sin. It's not yours. And he said, sir, those were my parents. And he said, if God can forgive me and everybody in this world, I can forgive you. And they both embraced each other. He gave him absolution, anointed him, went to a hotel. And later that night, the man died. He said, I have never felt more free in my entire life than I felt that day. We were meant for freedom. Not to be bound, not to be held by regret, by anger, by resentment, by whatever. We Christians are supposed to be different. 
but are we? For the rest of this Mass, I want to challenge you to one thing. Think about someone who has hurt you. Someone that owes you. And let them go. Release them. And when you pray the Our Father today, when it says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive, put their name in there, who has sinned against us. Let the Our Father today again sink deep into your heart and realize that what God has done for you, you are to do for others.